All right. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, We're going to get started today. Um, Today we begin a new sermon series, something that we've called the God Questions. The God Questions. And somebody say, well, why would we do a series called the God Questions? I think the reality is, if you're a human being, regardless of whether or not you are a Christian or, or whatever your background is, I think there comes a natural asking of these questions. We, we naturally begin to wonder about our creator. We wonder about, is this all there is in life? What happens to me when I die? And so we, we have these questions, and, and you may have asked some of these questions yourself. You may have come and, and, and asked yourself these same God questions. Or you may, you may say, well, I've never asked these questions, but I've heard people ask these questions. Today, our first question we're going to deal with is, is a very simple question, and that is, is God real? Is God real? This is a question that you may have asked at some point in your life. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've always known. But this is a valid question because we live in a society that says God can't be known. There is no God. And so this is a valid question that I think that we need to ask because even though our society says one thing, I think inside of our hearts, we begin to wonder. And we begin to ask these questions inside of us. Additionally, we've got a number of other questions. Next week, we're going to look and deal with the question of, is the Bible really God's word? What's the big deal about the Bible? Why do we make such a big deal about the Bible? We're going to deal with that next week. We've got a number of other questions. Uh, We've got eight weeks of questions. And so we'll also look at, uh, does God really hate gays? I mean, that's something you hear on the media and whatever else and from churches that depict it outside of funerals and whatever else. Does God really hate gays? We'll deal with that question. We'll look at, was Jesus really the son of God? I mean, he's, wasn't he just another prophet? Wasn't he just a good teacher? Why do we have to make him the son of God? Well, let's deal with that. How about this? How could a good God allow suffering and bad things to happen? I mean, if God is real, then why do bad things happen in our world? Let's look at that. We'll look at, well, how come I can't just love Jesus but hate the church? I mean, what's the big deal about the church anyways? There's a lot of good reasons why we need to love Jesus as well as love his church. We'll deal with that. We'll look at, well, don't all roads lead to heaven? Don't all religions lead to heaven anyways? I mean, isn't that something, anybody ever heard somebody ask that question or or make that statement? We're going to deal with that, look at, at that. What about this? Why should I become a Christian when most Christians are hypocrites? (laughs) <laughs> Anybody a hypocrite in here? Y'all are hypocrites! All right, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, we're going to look at these questions, and I think these are good questions because most of us, at some point in our life, we've asked these questions ourselves. If we're going to be honest, we're going to say, you know what, there was a time when I am sitting back and I'm saying, man, God, are you even there? Are you real? Is it true? I mean, these are questions. And, and, and beyond that, if we don't ask those questions, the reality is the people around us are. There are people around us that are asking these very God questions. And depending on what answer they're going to hear, they're going to make a decision on on God, on the Bible, on Jesus, on Christianity. See, if you are here today and you're a mature believer this morning, these questions are just as much for you today as they are for somebody who is investigating God. Because 1 Peter, 1 Peter Chapter 3 says, we are to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We as Christians need to be prepared with an answer to these questions. When somebody says, man, I just can't, 
I can't, can't figure it out. Is God real or not? We need to have an answer to that kind of a question because that is an opportunity for us to give a defense for the hope that we have through God. So this series is really for every one of us, every one of us, depending if we're investigating Jesus, whether we're trying to figure out if any of this is true or whether or not we've been a believer for years and years and years. The series is for us, every one of us. So the first question we're going to deal with is, is God real? Is God real? This is a valid question because, you know, we look and we say, well, can you touch God? No. Can you, can you feel him? Can you see him? Well, no. Well, can you, can you hear him? Well, no. There is, on the radio, there is this radio program called the Jesus Christ Show, but that's just a man trying to pretend to be Jesus and not quite the same thing. And so you have a God who you can't see, you can't touch, you can't feel, you can't hear. So how can we know for sure that God is real? I mean, you have, you have society, you have people that say, well, there is no God. There's no proof. There's no, nothing you can touch that proves God is real. Then you, have, then you have people of faith who say, yeah, absolutely God is real. So how are we supposed to come to a conclusion about whether or not God is real? If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. If you need a Bible, if you'd like a Bible, if you came here today and you don't have one, um, I would just ask you to put your hand up. We have an usher in the back, um, Dave Donovan. Um, he would love to put one of these in your hand. Let this be our gift to you. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 19. Um, that's page 391 in, uh, in our Bible. And we're going to sound a little different today. Instead of me reading this, I want to read this with you out loud. We're just going to read one verse, Psalm 19, verse 1. And uh, uh, I want you guys to read this with me. We're going to read it out loud, okay? You guys ready? It starts on the heavens. Let's go. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, there's like four of you that read that with me. Let's try that again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All right, let's pause for a minute. Let's just pray. God, we come before you right now, and we just ask that you would help us to, to hear you today. That you would help us to, to come to an understanding. Lord, it is okay to have questions. It is okay to not have all the answers. But God, I pray that as we seek to ask the questions, Lord, that you would give us the answer. That you would reveal yourself to us today. Lord, I pray for anyone in here today who is in this process of asking this question. God, I pray that you would give them an answer. That you are real. God, we love you and praise you. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us, to open our minds to, to who you are today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. See, one of the things I want you to know here at Restoration Church, I don't know, I, I don't know everybody's background. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I think this is a good opportunity because I ask these questions. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm coming to church today and I don't know for sure that God is real. You know what? Thank you for being here today. You're welcome here in this church. We want this to be a place where you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know the conclusions to everything about faith and about God and about the Bible. My goal is that as we come together, that we learn from God's word together and that we can begin to answer these questions together. You see, Restoration Church is really a group of imperfect people trying to follow a perfect God. I mean, none of us here have the answers to all the questions. None of us here have it all figured out. 
I certainly don't. And I'm the one that's supposed to be up here teaching everybody all the answers. I don't have all the answers. So I want you to know it's okay if you have these questions. It's okay if you say, you know, I don't have it all figured out. We want you to be here. We want you to learn. We want you to grow. So Psalm 19.1, this is a poem. This is a song lyric written by King David of Israel about 1000 BC. So many years ago. And, and he's saying, he's saying, what's he saying here? He's saying, if you just look around, he's saying the skies, the universe, the heavens, they're declaring the glory of God. All, he's saying all the universe, throughout the universe, throughout the heavens, throughout the skies, there are pointers to God's existence and, and, and all of that. Now you say, well, how can you know for sure? I mean, how can you know for sure that all this stuff is pointing to God? I mean, you can't see God. You can't touch him. You can't feel him. So how can you have an assurance? How can you know for sure? Well, this is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith as belief in the unseen. Now, you know, you're going to say, well, I don't live by faith. I don't live by faith. I live by facts. Well, I would make the argument that every one of us live our lives by faith. I would make the argument that every one of us live lives on belief and on faith. How many of you guys have a job? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you have a job, you show up to work Monday through Friday, and you put your time in, and you have a belief that after the week is over, that your company is going to pay you. There's no assurance of it, but you have a belief that you're going to go to work, you're going to work for the week or the two weeks or however often you get paid, and you have a belief that your paycheck will be there at the end of the pay period. That is by faith. How many of you guys rode to church in a car today? Most of you. You put that key into the ignition and you turn it over and you have a belief that this car is going to start. You have a faith that when you put your foot on the gas pedal, that gas is going to get pumped through the engine and it's going to drive you at 25, 30, 45 miles an hour to the season's performance hall. You have a faith and a belief that everything's going to work out within your car to get you here. I would argue that most of you woke up this morning and you have a belief that there will be enough air for us to breathe today. I would say most of us are not coming in and doubting that there's going to be enough air because we can't see it. I would say that we have a belief and a faith that there's enough air for us to breathe today. How many of you guys have a bank account? If you've got a bank account, you take your paycheck in, you take your money in, and you give it to the bank, and you believe by faith that later on when you want to come and access your money, that the money's still there. That the bank has not given it to somebody else. The bank hasn't gone and spent it on themselves. You have a faith, you have a belief that the bank will still have your money when you need it. See, I would argue that all of us live by faith. See, nothing in this world, nothing on this earth is, is a guaranteed. They're all expressions of faith. Now, this doesn't mean that we express faith blindly. This doesn't mean that we have a blind faith. When we are going to work for a company... We're going to learn a little bit about them. When they interview us as well, we're going to interview them. And we're going to look and we're going to say, you know what? They've got other employees. Other employees are all still there. So they must still be getting a paycheck. So we make an informed decision about a company. We make an informed decision that, you know what? They do pay their employees. Okay? We, we, we don't express that blindly. Air. 
You know, we believe that there is air. Why do we believe that we have enough air to breathe today? Because there was enough yesterday. Because there was enough the day before that. Because there was enough the day before that. Uh, and, and what about your bank? What about your bank? See, you look at your bank, and, and before you go and put your money in a bank, you want to make sure that you want to read the bank's perspectives. You want to know enough about the bank so you can walk in and have a little bit of confidence that when you put your money into the bank, that your money's going to be there when you need it. You see, we don't express faith blindly. Faith, we, we will base it on, 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 on reasoning, on facts, on prior experiences. We'll even base our faith on other people's recommendations. For example, if you're going to go out to dinner tonight, if you're going to go out to dinner tonight, you might ask somebody, you might say, hey, hey, mom and dad, what would be a good restaurant? And they'll say, well, we went to this place and it was great. And by faith, by believing their recommendation, you'll say, all right, I'm going to go try this restaurant because they said it's good. They said it's trustworthy. They said I can go there and get a good meal. See, I would say that every one of us live our lives by faith. God set it up that way. We, have, we, have, we base our faith on reasoning, on facts, on prior experiences. And that is just the way in Psalm 19 when it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. See, God is saying, you can put your faith in me because I've given you reasoning. I've given you facts. I've given you prior experiences that all point to God being real. That all point to God being real. So our first reason why I believe that we can know that God is real is the existence of the universe. Is that the existence of the universe. Now, I don't know about your background, but when I was in school, science was not my favorite subject at all. I wasn't a science buff at all. I don't know if that's who you are. That's not who I was. But when we look into the science and the world around us, there's many things that we can look and say, man, that points to there being a God. Now, I don't know whether or not you believe in, in creation or whether you believe in evolution. I'm not looking to get into that argument today. That's, that, that's a topic for another day. I'm not going to try and persuade you either way. But I do want to ask you that you keep an open mind. Because I think when we look, and th- when we look at logic, when we look at reasoning, it will point to God's existence. Now, why do I say that God is real because of the existence of the universe? I want you to follow me on this, okay? Think back to, think back to uh, my, one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, Night of the Museum. Think back. You, you remember the bobblehead? The bobblehead of Albert Einstein? Every time I think of Albert Einstein, I picture this little bobbly head, you know? Um, sorry, that's just one of my favorite movies. And so think back to Albert Einstein. Remember reading about him in school and learning about him? In 1915, he developed this general theory of relativity, this gen- and anybody, any science buffs can come and explain that to all of us today? No. Good. Okay. <laughs> General theory of relativity is probably too complex for me to understand, much less to be able to communicate in a truthful way to you. But it is a universally accepted uh, theory. It is Einstein's theory of gravity. That's a summary of it. Pretty good so far, everybody. Any, any science buffs? Give me a thumbs up. Anybody? It is a Einstein's theory of gravity. And, and with, this, with this theory of relativity, there are certain implications that have to be true in order for this theory to be true. And since it's universally accepted, I want you to hear this. One of the implications of the theory of relativity 
is that the universe is defined by time, by space, by matter, by physical energy. And if, and if the universe is defined by time and space and physical, manage, physical energy, then that would mean that at some point the universe had a beginning. There was a starting point to the universe. Okay? General relativity says that if you track back, you will find a point in time that the universe didn't exist and a point in time that the universe started. It began. It was created. Regardless of where you believe how the universe created and how it came to be, we can look back and science says that the universe has a starting point, has a beginning. Now think back to your school days. Remember middle school science? Remember learning that every cause Excuse me, every effect has a, every effect has a cause. Every effect. Now, think about this afternoon. Think about you go home and you put on the Seahawks game, you T-vote it. So you're going to go home and watch the Seahawks game. You're sitting in your living room and a baseball comes through your, your living room window, cracks the window. What's the first question you're going to ask? You're not going to ask, why did that happen? You're going to ask, who did that? You're going to say, who threw this baseball and is going to interrupt my football game right now? Who is responsible for this? The effect was the ball came through the window. And you know there has to be a cause. If you're at my house, you'd say, which one of our boys threw the, wind, threw the baseball? Every effect has a cause. An effect without a cause in it is an impossibility. Another way of saying that is there is no outcome or consequence without something to cause the result. So when we look at the universe and we say there's a starting point to the universe, we would say that's the effect. The effect is that there was a starting point. The effect is the universe started, it began, it was created. So there must be a cause. And since the universe is the effect, then it can't be the cause because it didn't exist Moments before it was, cre- it, it was, it was, it, it began. So now we already said that the universe is defined by time and space and matter and physical energy. So the cause for the universe must come from outside of the universe. It can't be contained within the universe itself because the effect cannot create itself. And so the, the, the cause for the universe, it must be outside of those realms. It must be out, it cannot be contained in time or space or matter or physical energy. So let's, let's try and put this together and let me make this case. The beginning of the universe is the effect. And the cause of the beginning of the universe must exist outside of the realm of the universe. It must be timeless, exists out of space, without physical energy, and it cannot depend on anything within the universe itself. Now, when we look at those attributes of the cause of the universe, we see those same attributes representing who God is. When we try and say, this is who God is, we say God is timeless. God is not dependent on anything. God is, does not consist of, of physical energy and, and, and physical matter. He is timeless. He exists out of the space uh, and is not dependent on anything within the universe. And so David is saying, you know, if we just stop, if we just look around and we look at the universe, we look at the foundations of the universe and what science has made true about the universe, they point to the glory of God. They point to the existence of a creator. They point to the existence of who God is. 
That's some brainy stuff here. I know some of you are a little bit more brainy than I am. That was a little bit of a stretch trying to understand the theory of, uh, of relativity and all that good stuff. So let's move on because there's much more for us to look at. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, if you've got one of these Bibles, we're on page 804. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul is speaking. Paul was probably the greatest missionary to ever lived. He wrote a, a good portion in the New Testament. And Paul, this is what Paul says as he writes the letter of the church in Rome. Verses 19 and 20. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. You see, first, we read that it was David who was telling us to look around. David was saying, look around at the skies and at the heavens because they declare the glory of God. And now it's Paul's turn in saying that Paul's power and his divine nature are evident to us through the world and through the universe around us. I want you to, I want you to, to understand Number two, the second reason why we can have a belief that God is real is because when we look around, we see the complexity of our world, the complexity of our universe. Now, we live in the Yakima Valley. One of the things the Yakima Valley is known for is our apples, okay? Our apples. Nate will sell you an apple if you need an apple. Nate's over here. He'll sell you all the apples you need, okay? But you think about, you think about an apple. You think about picking that apple out of your refrigerator, and we, we, apples are plentiful in the Yakima Valley. But you've got to think about how complex it is that this apple gets here. I mean, there had to be a seed. Started out of the seed, there had to be a seed. That seed had to be planted in good soil. And then it had to get enough water, enough sunlight to grow into a tree. And then that tree had to, blo- had to have apple blossoms on him. And, and, and the weather had to be just right because if it was too hot or too cold, it would destroy that apple blossom. And that, that, that apple had to grow for a season. And, and there's many complex things that had to go to make that apple get into your hand where you're going to sit down and eat it. Well, that's just, just one example of the complexity of our world. Listen to some of these facts. Listen to this. Okay? The earth spins on its axis at 1,040 miles per hour. If you were to speed our earth up just a little bit, we'd be flung off the earth. We wouldn't be able to stay on. And if you were to slow down the earth, we would float away. The speed at which the earth rotates is just perfect that it enables our existence. What about this? The earth rotates 93 million miles from the sun. We are 93 million miles away from the sun. And if we were only a few degrees closer, we'd disintegrate. We'd burn up. And if we were just a few degrees further away from the sun, we would freeze. So even with where the earth is in relation to the sun, it is just right for life. The axis of the earth is tilted at a perfect 26 degree angle. This angle enables an equal distribution of solar rays, which enables life to exist. And if that, a- if that angle of the earth were to shift even one degree in either direction... One degree in either direction, life would not be able to exist. The air that we breathe is a perfect and unique combination of nitrogen and oxygen. 
78% of the air that we breathe is, is nitrogen and 21% is oxygen. And if either, if either of these were to be altered by even a single degree, then life would not be able to exist on the earth. The air is just perfect for us to live. The human heart. This is one of the, especially you teenagers, you're really going to appreciate this. The human heart beats like this. If you were to pull an artery out of your heart and your heart was pumping, blood would shoot 20 feet out. Don't try this at home, okay? Don't try this on your brothers and sisters. But if you were to pull an artery out, your, your heart will beat and send blood. And this is the amount of pressure it takes for our heart to send blood through our entire body system. It sends it out with such force that allows the blood to be circulated through the entire body. How about this? You possess three trillion nerve cells that are all coordinated by your brain. Three million nerve cells that are all controlled through your brain. Some of us don't work as well as others. But we have all these nerve cells that are dependent on our brain to operate. You have, this is interesting, you have 24,000 hair-like cells within your inner ear that react to sound and convert that sound into nerve impulses. I mean, this is, this is amazing when you consider the, the complexity of our universe. The complexity. I mean, we could go on and on and describe many more facts and many more things that just make us stand in awe of this is a perfect world. Everything consists in such a way that allow us to live. And when we look at just how complex the world is, it's hard to believe that all of this happened by random chance or by coincidence. When you consider... All of the things that require us to have life and to be able to live and to breathe. It's hard to say, you know what, just by random chance, everything came out to be just perfect. It's hard to say that just by coincidence, everything turned out just right to sustain life. In fact, because of this evidence, because of the complexity of our world, Paul Davies, who's one of the leading physicists in our country, he's a professor at Arizona State University, he makes this audacious claim. He says, I cannot believe that our existence in the universe is a mere quirk of fate. We are truly meant to be here. See, this was a summary of a godless man when he looked and he looked at the complexity of our universe. He said, it can't just be by fate. There's got to be a reason there's got to be a purpose behind us being here. So I would say that when you look at the complexity of our world, when you look at the complexity of human life, I would say it shows that there is something other than just chance. There is a God who orders and sustains and holds it all together in his hands. So I've said that the two proofs so far, the existence of God is, 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 number one, the existence of the universe, and number two, the complexity of our world. But uh, in your Bible, turn with me one page. We were in Romans chapter 1. Turn with me one page over. We're going to look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And it says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and the conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. See, what he's saying 
is even we have a sense of right and wrong. Whether or not you believe in God, we have this sense inside of us of right and wrong. Some would call it a conscience. But we have this built inside of us. Let me tell you a little story. I love having kids. Some of you guys know I must really love having kids because I've got five of them. And uh, one of the things I've just loved being a dad, it's one of the best roles I've ever been able to be is being a dad. And, and our youngest, his name is Oliver, and he's three years old. Let me tell you about Oliver. He's the baby of the family. And he really, he's unique. His personality is unique and wonderful. And I remember uh, one of the things sometimes I do as a dad is I like to buy the kids donuts. And so I'll go to Albertsons and I'll get a dozen donuts. And usually when we do donuts, there are two donuts left over. And so he's already had his breakfast. And, and uh, when, when a three-year-old eats donuts, if you've ever seen a three-year-old eat donuts, there's, uh, they eat the top layer off of the frosting. And the frosting is up all over his face. And I don't know how much of the rest of the donut actually ends up in his belly. But that's the way he, he works. And so he ate his donut. We get him cleaned up. And it takes 17 minutes to clean him up because there's chocolate in every crevice and everywhere. And he comes into the kitchen. And he says, Dad, can I have another donut? No, those two donuts left. Those are for mom and dad. You know, we're saving them for later. No, you can't have another donut. And I walk out and I go keep doing whatever I was doing. And I come back in a couple minutes later. And sure enough, the donut box is open. Sure enough, there's chocolate all over, all over again. Chocolate's on the counter. Chocolate on the cabinets. Oliver, did you eat a donut? Nope. Nope. Oliver, look at me. Oliver, look at me. Oliver, did you eat a donut? Nope. Didn't eat the donut. Like you're lying through your teeth, boy. I mean, you can see it all over you. You can see the evidence. And you say, well, what, what are you getting out with a story? I mean, my son knew it was wrong for him to eat the donut. I mean, he knew it was wrong. That's why he's, he looks and he's trying to say, no, I didn't eat the donut. It wasn't me. It was somebody. It was Jackson. He was... Three-year-olds, every time he does something, he blames his brother. It was Jackson. It's Jackson's fault. It was Cameron's fault. He ate the donut. No, he didn't. You've got the donut all over your face, man. And see, we have inside of us, we have this sense of right and wrong. He's lying through his teeth, and that's not something I've taught him. My wife hasn't taught him to lie through his teeth and to deny something that he's done. This is something that, that, that we have inside of us. We have a sense of right and wrong. Now, I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying that we always do that. But most of us have this idea that it's wrong to kill. Most of us don't have to have somebody say, you know what, it's wrong to kill your brother or sister. I mean, parents, we may want to say that, but our kids generally know we can beat them up, but we can't kill them. I mean, there's a general sense of right and wrong to that. I mean, I would say, I would say there's, there's an evidence of this, I mean, generally, when we know it's wrong, when we've done something, we don't tell everybody about it. I mean, I mean, if you go, and, and we had this issue where, where there was a time where, where a young man stole some, some materials from, from uh, Madison House when I worked there. And you know what he did? He didn't go on Facebook and say, hey, everybody, look what I got. I took this. It's mine now. I stole it. From... No, we don't, bl- we don't blast it. We don't tell everybody what we did. We want to cover it up because we don't want other people to know about it. I mean, we have this sense that it is wrong for us to do that. We have this sense of right and wrong. And, and so that is why when we do something we know we shouldn't do, we don't go out and tell the whole world. We don't go out and tell everybody, man, this is what I did. No, because we have this sense of right and wrong. He's inside of us. And we know within our heart 
that it's the wrong thing to do. And just, and, just like, and just like that, on the flip side, we know what is good and what is right. That's why when we experience a community tragedy, people want to jump in and people want to respond. Because just as God has put inside of us a sense of wrong, he's put in us a sense of right. This is why this summer I read the story about this college baseball player who had a promising career. And he read about this lady or excuse me, this guy who was going to need a liver transplant, but it had to be a very, it was a very unique situation. It had to be the right liver, had to be the right blood type, had to be the right everything. And this, this young man, this young 20, 21-year-old college baseball player who loved playing and still had a couple years left in his career, he said, you know, maybe I'm the match for that. He got tested and found that he was one of a few people who could actually provide this liver for him. And there's this sense of doing the right thing. And I love reading this story about this baseball player who gave up his career so he could give a lung to a complete stranger so the stranger could continue to live. I mean, this is why, this is why the, the people of the United States donated over $400 million to the Red Cross to help the people of Haiti after the devastating earthquake several years ago. I mean, this is why we, when we, some, we hear a tragedy like this, we feel an obligation, we should do something about that. We have this inside of us. You don't have to be told to do it. You just, inside of you, you just have this feeling, you know, I just feel like we should do something. Because inside of us, we have this sense of right and wrong. And that's what Paul says in Philippians, or excuse me, Romans chapter 2. He says, inside of us, we have a general idea of right and wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we always do it. That doesn't mean that it doesn't get skewed by, by how we're raised or by chemical imbalances or whatever else. Because we know There are people who do crazy things and feel completely justified in doing them. But I would argue that every one of us has a general sense of right and wrong that God designed inside of us. That God designed inside of us. Our sense in right and wrong becomes the proof, number three, that God is real. Turn with me a few few pages forward to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This is on page 843. Colossians 1 and verse 15, it says this. It says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, I would say that the fourth argument that God is real is through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I would say that Jesus is a testament that God is real. Now, we're going to spend some time later on this series, understanding about who Jesus is and some of the things that Jesus did in his life. But I would say that one of the greatest proofs that God is real is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like, look to Jesus, because he is the image of the invisible God. Now, one of the things that Jesus claimed while he was on earth is Jesus claimed he was God. And many people have struggled with this claim. They struggle with this idea on how can this man, how can Jesus be a man and also be a God? How can Jesus be man and also be God? I mean, how is that possible? Well, I would argue that Jesus was both. Jesus was God as well as he was man. He was God in the flesh. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. A guy named Muhammad 
and Joseph Smith, they claimed that they were prophets. Buddha and Confucius, they were silent on the topic of God. It is only Jesus who claimed to be God in the flesh. And so when we look at the life of of Jesus, you look and see all these things that Jesus did. You read about all these miracles that Jesus did. I mean, Jesus Jesus healed people of sickness. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus uh, walked on water. Jesus fed over 20,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus did all these miracles in his lifetime. And John 20, verse 30 and 31, says that of all the things that Jesus did, they were done so that we would believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that through him we would have eternal life. And then after Jesus' life, as he's preparing to end, Jesus suffered a terrible death. Jesus was beaten 39 times with a whip, with nails on the end of the whip. After that, they, they took a crown of thorns and they, they shoved and, and pressed this crown of thorns down on Jesus' head. He was then nailed to a cross where he was pronounced dead by a professional Roman executioner who verified his death by taking a spear and shoving the spear into Jesus' side. This centurion was so impressed by how Jesus died, this, this executioner was so impressed that he confessed there at the cross, truly this is the Son of God. After his death, Jesus was prepared for burial with spices and he had his body wrapped with three burial garments. He was placed in a tomb with a one and a half to two ton boulder guarding the tomb and and, and closing the tomb off. There were guards who were stationed in front of the tomb who were ordered to make the tomb as secure as possible. Yet in three days, the stone was rolled away and Christ was resurrected. Five different people came and examined the tomb and they all found the tomb empty. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to more than 515 eyewitnesses. These eyewitnesses came from different walks of life and had various states of unbelief as to whether or not this was the Son of God. But these 515 eyewitnesses, their lives were so changed that they in turn, they devoted the rest of their lives to sharing the story of the resurrection of Jesus with as many people as they possibly could. In fact, Jesus' closest friends, his 11 disciples, they, many of them suffered death as a result of proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. You see, all of this is to say that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, they point to the existence of a supernatural God. They point to the existence of a supernatural world. They point to the existence, this couldn't be possible unless there was a supernatural God behind it. One more proof this morning. And I don't want this last proof to be discredited. See, I want to share my own personal testimony of how I came to know that God is real. This is a part of my personal testimony, my story of how I came to believe in God and how I became a Christian by receiving Jesus as my Savior. You see, every one of us have a story. Every one of us has a testimony. We have a story of where we are with God. You might be here this morning and you say, well, in my story... I'm still asking questions. I'm trying to figure out, is this real? Is it true? Can I trust it? Can I devote my life to it? Maybe you're here and you say, I, I've, I've, been, I've believed in God for years. And I gave my life to Jesus many, many moons ago. 
either way, I don't want to discredit your personal testimony of coming to a belief in God because it is just as valid as any other testimony that we can give to God, any other proof that God exists. Just as I said, when, when, when our friends ask us, hey, what's a good restaurant? We're going to ask our friends, what's a good restaurant? And when they make a recommendation, we're, we're going to listen to the recommendation because we care about the person. We know they care about us. We know they're looking after us. So when I look at my personal testimony, I look back at my life, and I don't believe things happen by chance. I don't believe things are just coincidence. I don't believe that life is made up of a bunch of random choices that we make and somehow, some way, we end up here down the road many, many, many years later. I don't believe it's all by chance. I believe that God is sovereign and God is in control of our lives. And as I look back at my life, I can see God having his hand in my life. I can see God orchestrating details of my life that brought me even to this point right here. See, I was born to parents who were drug addicts. I was born and my parents were, were absolute drug addicts. I was the youngest of three kids. And when, I, when I was about six months old, my uh, biological dad was, was high on something and decided to get in a car and he got a car wreck and he killed three other people and was arrested and sent to prison for, for 10 or 12 years, something like that. And my mom had these three kids, these three young kids, and she said, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. And she gave us up to the state and said, I don't want these kids anymore. And gave up on us. My sisters, my two older sisters, they were placed into a uh, family that wanted to do the foster to adopt program. But I was sent, because I was a baby, I was sent to a different family. And I was in a different family for a little while. I don't know how long, six months, nine months, a year later, I was reunited with my sisters. And we ended up becoming adopted by this family that we became known as our real family. I mean, we have this background of, uh, of the family we were born into and, and this, this, this tragedy. But... God brought us out of that and allowed us to be adopted into our real family. You might say, is God real? How can you say that God is real? You know, you had to leave your biological family. You don't know your family. How can you say that God is good and God is real? How can you believe that? Yeah, you know, there's times growing up when I wondered. There's times where I grew up and I wondered, man, what would it have been like? What would it have been like if I knew my biological parents? But see, I absolutely see God's hand in my life. My biological father, he served his prison sentence 10, 12 years, whatever it was. And he got out. And a couple months after he got out, he got into a, a pursuit with, with, with Seattle police and got into a shootout with Seattle police and was shot and killed. A couple months after he got out of prison. He never got his life together. My biological mom found out years later that she died several years ago because she was never able to kill the addiction. And the alcohol killed her liver and ended up killing her. God was looking out for me then, and he was preparing me for something better. He was preparing me for something else. As I grew up into my high school years, God put relationships in my life with certain people. With people who loved God and people who knew Jesus as their Savior. And God used those people to open my eyes to the truth of who he was, to the truth of who Jesus was, to the truth of this book being God's word and this book being true and being our guide for life. God put people like my wife. God put people like a guy named Parrish Plumley, And God even put this goofy guy named Joey. And God used these people 
to reveal the truth of who he was so I would know that God is real, so that I would know that Jesus was my Savior. God, use these people to help me see the love and the sacrifice of Jesus was the only way that I could have a, ever have a true relationship with God. And after I became a Christian, God put other people in my life who continued to guide me and to teach me what it means to follow Jesus and to teach me what it means to lead people so they could follow Jesus. And God put people in my life and orchestrated things that led me where I stand here and I'm in awe of the fact that, man, God could use even someone like me to lead Restoration Church. I don't have anything to offer, but you know what? That's the way that God does. God orchestrates the details of our life to lead us to this moment where we are right here and right now. And man alive, I look back and I see God's hand all over the details. Yeah, there's things that have been tough. There's trials, there's hard times. There's things that I regret. There's things that make me cry because of the pain inside. But here I am. I have no other answer to why I'm here other than God himself. I look back at my, at my life and I say, this all can't be random chance and coincidence. It can't be random chance and coincidence that me and my sisters were brought out of what we were born into. I do not believe at all that is random chance. I see the evidence of God in the fact that we were protected from that. God has orchestrated the details of my life, even the bad things, even the hard times, to reveal the truth of God about me. I want you to listen here for a minute. It's no coincidence that you are here at church today. It's no coincidence that God has put people in your lives who are Christians, that God has put people in your lives who are telling you about God and about the love that Jesus has for you. It's not a random chance that you have family members and friends who've been praying for you and have been sharing this great truth about this great God who loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. It's not random chance that God has put those people in your lives. No, God, the creator of the universe, the sovereign Lord of all creation, just as he orchestrated things in my life to reveal his truth to me, God has been directing your life so that you would come to know who he is and you would know the sacrifice that he's made to have a relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes forward, I think the pivotal question for us now is not, is God real? The, the, the important question is not, is God real? I think the evidence proves that God is real. I think the evidence is there for us to say there is a God the pivotal question for us now is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust that he is sovereign and that he is good and he has been leading you here with a purpose? Can you trust him and can you surrender your life to live for him? This morning we're going to have an opportunity to respond to God this morning. Our worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs where we can just praise God for who he is. We can praise him that he is God and we are not. That he is real. That he has been in control of our lives and he has brought us even to this point right here. And we have the opportunity to respond to who he is and to what he's done.
during this time of worship, if you'd like to talk or pray with me, I'd love for you to come forward to one of these front rows. I'd love to have the opportunity to talk and pray. You say, man, Kevin, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear you saying that there's evidence, but I'm having a hard time believing. I'd love to talk and pray with you about that. We have other counselors who'd love to talk and pray with you about that. I'd welcome you during the next couple of songs to come forward. And let's pray together. See, I don't believe life is full of random chance and and circumstance. I believe that God is sovereign and God is in control. He has been good to us. You can say, well, what about the bad things that have happened to me? You're here, aren't you? You're here, aren't you? You've got air to breathe, don't you? You've just heard about a great God who loves you and who's been seeking you out. That's worthy of our response. That's worthy of our praise. That's worthy of our worship. Let's pray.